Shalom and welcome to Think Jewish. Let us explore how to get in touch with our feelings, connecting with our deepest feelings. The Torah documents Jacob's final words to his children, and it begins with, quote, Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather, and I will tell you what will happen to you at the end of days. End quote. Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, the classic commentator, comments on this. He quotes the words of the verse, and I will tell you, and explains. He attempted to reveal the end, but the Shekhinah, the presence, the divine inspiration, withdrew from him, so he began to say other things. End quote. Rashi is defining for us what at the end of days means, telling us that Jacob, in the year 2255 of creation, wanted to reveal to the Jewish people when Mashiach is going to come, which is in the end of days, as we know days to be. However, God didn't want the Jewish people to know when Mashiach was to come, and therefore God lifted the Shekhinah from Jacob, causing Jacob to say other things. Our sages explain the reason why God didn't want Jacob to reveal the date of Mashiach's arrival. Jacob was going to reveal this to his children in the year 2255 from creation. And we are now in the year 5776 of creation. Of what benefit would it be to give the Jewish people a tradition to carry with them throughout all the times of persecution and suffering that Mashiach would not arrive for another 3,521 years. Thus, God removed the divine inspiration from Jacob. This leaves us with the following questions. A. What was Jacob's intention in wanting to reveal to his children the date of Mashiach's arrival? B. The Holy Zohar teaches us that the requests of a tzaddik, a righteous man, never returns empty-handed. Thus, in some way, Jacob's wish manifested itself. How did Jacob's will manifest itself? C. What is the connection of the other things that Jacob did say with the original revelation that Jacob wanted to say? D. Lastly, when the Shekhinah lifted itself from Jacob, Jacob understood why he cannot directly reveal the date of Mashiach to his children in their present state. Therefore, Jacob revealed it indirectly through the other things that he told them. What is it that Jacob originally thought of his children that would have made them worthy of a direct revelation and what did Jacob then realize about his children, which caused him to give them an indirect revelation through the other things? Another introduction to this lecture is a very astounding rule of Maimonides concerning a person's heart. In his Book of Laws, Maimonides opens the laws concerning the Jewish divorce with the following foundation. I quote, 
A woman may be divorced only by receiving a bill of divorce. This bill is called a get. The Torah establishes ten principles as fundamental for a divorce to be effective. They are a that a man must voluntarily initiate the divorce. End quote. With this, Maimonides lets us know that the man cannot be forced into giving his wife a get. Now, let us look at a law that Maimonides tells us in chapter 2 of the Laws of Divorce. I quote, Law 20. When a man whom the law requires to be compelled to divorce his wife does not desire to divorce, his, to divorce her, the court should have him beaten until he consents, at which time they should have a get written. The get is acceptable. This applies at all times and in all places. End quote. How can this be the law? How can we force a man to want to give a get? The law gets even more perplexed by what Maimonides continues to explain. I quote, If, however, the Gentile compel him to write a get on their own initiative, the get is merely unacceptable. The rationale is that the law requires him to give a divorce. Why is this get not void? For he is being compelled either by Jews or by Gentiles to divorce against his will and a get must be given voluntarily. Maimonides goes on. Because the concept of being compelled against one will, one's will applies only when speaking about a person who is being compelled and forced to do something that the Torah does not obligate him to do. Maimonides continues further. If, however, a person's evil inclination presses him to negate the observance of a commandment or to commit a transgression, and he was beaten until he performed the action he was obligated to perform, or he disassociates himself from the forbidden action, he is not considered to have been forced against his will. On the contrary, it is he himself who is forcing his own conduct to become debased. And now Maimonides concludes this law. With regard to this person who outwardly refuses to divorce his wife, he wants to be part of the Jewish people, and he wants to perform all the commandments and eschew all the transgressions. It is only his evil inclination that presses him. Therefore, when he is beaten until his evil inclination has been weakened, and he consents to the divorce, he is considered to have performed divorce, the divorce willfully. End quote. Well then, here is a question. If Maimonides is telling us that a Jew's will is to do what the Torah obligates him to do, and that is his only true will, then why do we need to beat him at all? Why does he need to admit that he wants to give the obligatory get? Maimonides already told us as a fact that the man really wants to do is to give the get. The answer is that when he says that I don't want to listen to the Torah, and that I don't want to give the get. He is telling you what he wants and what he does not want. Therefore, as long as he is telling us that he doesn't want to give the get, then it is a forced get, which is unacceptable. 
even though Maimonides told us that deep down he does want to. Why so? In Kabbalah and Hasidis, the commandment of building a holy temple with all its furniture is a very personal commandment in which each individual must say, I am the holy temple of God. We then must each see the furniture of the holy temple described within the Torah and build them within ourselves. The altar upon which our love for God is expressed and our teshuva return and change of heart happens represents the human heart. However, in the holy temple there were two altars. One was made of stone placed outside the door of the holy temple upon which sacrifices were brought. The second altar was made of gold upon which the incense was brought and only the blood of the special Yom Kippur Day of Atonement sacrifice was sprinkled upon it. Thus we are taught that the human heart has two layers. The outside altar represents the outer heart which is susceptible to being influenced. The inside altar is the inner heart whose will is defined only by who he essentially and as extensionally is and can never be influenced otherwise. When the outer heart is not in congruency with the inner heart, the person is experiencing his inner will influenced, I'm sorry, his outer, the person is experiencing his outer will influenced by outer influences covering his inner heart. When this happens, the person is experiencing a true outer will which currently becomes his true experience of what he wants. To deny him this will or to force him to behave against this will is according to Jewish law forcing him to do something involuntary. Now the two laws of Maimonides in his laws of divorce make perfect sense. The inner heart has its inner will even when covered and hidden by the outer heart and the outer will. However, his inner will is inaccessible to his actions according to Jewish law while it is covered and hidden by his outer will. Only when the outer will is removed can he access his true and deeper inner will and it becomes accessible to his actions according to Jewish law. Now, Needless to say, while human intellect can make mistakes, the inner heart of a Jew never errs. Therefore, when we later find out that the courthouse was wrong about the Torah's opinion concerning this person's obligation to give a get, he really was not obligated to give the get. Then the get was never valid at all because we now know that his inner heart and the inner will never wanted to give this get. This concept of the human having two layers of the heart, the outer heart and the inner heart, is what we will be focusing on tonight. What is also important to remember is that the outer heart is real, neither bad nor good on its own, and it is influenced by the mind's perception and other outside influences. A statement by the previous Rebbe concerning the nature of American youth can give us some clarity on the outer heart experience. 
He said that the American youth get aroused easily to Torah, but the arousal doesn't last long. I believe that what the previous Rebbe was saying was that American youth, in their luxury of democracy, are usually only in touch with their outer heart, versus the Jewish youth of Russia, who at the time were forced to seek stronger and inner commitment due to the persecution they faced, would take longer to ignite, but once they did, it would survive the trials and tribulations it would have to face. Previously, I quoted for you Rashi's commentary on what Jacob wanted to tell his children when he was on his deathbed. I would like to now point out how specific every detail of Rashi is. Rashi explained that Jacob wanted to reveal when Mashiach is to come. I explained that simply speaking, Rashi knows this from Jacob's words, quote, and I will tell you what will happen to you at the end of days, end quote. Rashi knows that something caused Jacob to change his mind because he never does tell his sons when the Mashiach is to come. What is peculiar, however, is the words that Rashi chose to place his commentary on. Rashi always quotes the words that he wishes to comment on and then comments on them. Rashi should have quoted the words end of time, since that is what he is commenting on. However, instead, Rashi quotes the words, and I will tell you. Rashi is giving us here the deeper insight of what Jacob's purpose was. Let us see. In Kabbalah and Hasidis, the precise choice of terminology in the Torah is explained and emphasized. In the Torah, we find the word Amira, Dibur, and Haggadah, three words which are used for telling or saying. When we want to say, and God said, or Moses said, or Jacob said, we can either use the terminology of Amira, Dibur, or Haggadah. The Holy Zohar gives us a rule that wherever the term of Haggadah is used, the verse is telling us of words of wisdom that are being drawn from their source and brought into revelation. In other words, Haggadah is used when we are revealing that which comes from the inner heart, while the terminology Amira and Dibur is used in the Torah concerning that which comes from the outer heart. This will now explain a very interesting teaching of our sages. The Talmud has portions within it that speak of stories or homiletics that are called Agadita from the word Haggadah. Our sages state, quote, If it is your will to recognize he who said and brought the world into being, study Haggadah, for through this you recognize the Holy One Blessed be he. End quote. Our sages of mysticism teach us that the Agadita portion of the Talmud is filled with the secrets of esoteric teachings. It is how the Talmud transmitted the esoteric teachings, which are called the inner soul of the Torah. Thus, it is precisely from Jacob using the term Agida for, and I will tell you that tells Rashi and teaches us that Jacob was looking to reveal the time of the inner heart, 
the revelation of the inner soul of the Torah and the time of the revelation of the inner essence of God. As the prophet states concerns God's revelation at the times of Mashiach, quote, and your teacher will no more conceal himself, end quote. This is what Jacob was looking to transmit directly to his children, to already bring them and the entire world to the state of being. Jacob wasn't looking to just talk about a future time. Rather, he was looking to connect the world now to that time and experience of Haggadah. Maimonides tells us of this story in the laws of reciting the Shema. Maimonides explains that when Jacob saw that the Shekhinah lifted from him, stopping him from giving this transmission of the inner heart, the transmission of redemption, Jacob turned to his sons and asked, quote, Is there idol worship amongst you? End quote. To which the sons of Jacob answered, and I quote, Hear, O Israel. The name of Jacob that God changed his name to was Israel. They were telling their father, Hear, O Israel. God is our God. Your God is our God. God is one. Just as in your heart there is only one, so too in our heart there is only one. Jacob responded to this with, and I quote, Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever, end quote. Thus, until this day, Maimonides goes on to explain, when we recite the verse Shema, we follow it with quietly reciting, Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. The children of Jacob were not tainted by idol worship. So why weren't they worthy of receiving Jacob's transmission of the inner Torah, the inner heart, and the inner essence revelation of God? Another question. Once hearing that idol worship wasn't the issue, why didn't Jacob inquire further to find out what has tainted his children, making them unfit for his inner heart transmission? The answer is that Jacob originally thought that they were connected with their inner heart and all that was needed for them to was, I quote, gather together, end quote, which means to A, gather together the fallen divine sparks hidden in the world and B, gather together with unity all as one and they would then be ready to receive the inner essence transmission of the heart, the Torah and divine revelation. However, once Jacob connected with them in their state of being, in order to give them the transmission, he entered into their experience, becoming himself affected, that the Shekhinah lifted from him. Jacob then realized that they were, not connect that they were connected to him not on the inner Israel level, but on the outer and lower Jacob level, connected only to the outer heart relationship with God, which is not sturdy and is susceptible to change and to be influenced otherwise. The children of Jacob were not tainted. Rather, they lacked connection to their own omnipotent inner heart and inner will. Thus, Jacob could no more transmit to them directly words of wisdom brought forth from their source in their inner heart. The key word here is directly. Jacob could no more transmit to them directly. 
Jacob instead began to transmit to them indirectly through other things. When we read in the Torah portion what the other things are, what we find there are transmission of empowerment inspired by prophecy of what each tribe will face. Each tribe will face their own bridge into their inner heart and bring to fruition their own part in creating the experience of the end of days. Thus, Jacob did succeed in his transmission, only that it was through an indirect path. With this we understand what the relationship between a Rebbe and a Chassid is all about. A Rebbe is called Nasi Dorenu, leader of the generation. The word Nasi in Hebrew is made of four Hebrew letters, the Nun, the Shin, the Yud, and the Aleph. Our sages tell us that it is an acronym for four words, Nitzutz Shel Yaakov Avinu, a spark of Jacob, our father. In the Kabbalistic teachings of what a Rebbe is, we use another acronym, which is of the word Rebbe. Three letters, Resh, Bet, Yud, which is the acronym for Rosh B'nai Yisrael, head of the children of Israel. Just as the head serves as the higher conscious of the person, so too the Rebbe serves as the higher conscious of the Jewish people. The Jewish people, being a soul clothed within the physical paradigm of reality and life, are limited to the outer heart experience. A Rebbe is destined to live a spiritual reality, even as his holy soul is clothed within his holy body. As a Rebbe, a teacher and leader, the Rebbe connects to his body and feels the reality of his generation. With this connection, the Rebbe works and succeeds in transmitting to his generation through indirect other thing teachings and connections the experience and the empowerment of the inner heart, the inner will, the inner soul Torah, and the inner essence revelation of God. It is our job to internalize, to study, and to open ourselves up to live within the paradigm of this higher conscious given to us indirectly by the Rebbe. In closing, let us summarize what we have learned here. A. Every person has two layers to his or her heart, the outer heart and the inner heart. The outer heart which bores the outer will is influenced by the evolution of the person's mind, maturity, and what it hears, sees, and experiences with others. The inner heart which bores the inner will is the experience of who the individual essentially and existentially is. The inner will is not influenced by anything and remains what it is simply because of who the person is at the core essence level of his being. B, the second thing we learned. When the outer heart is not being congruent with the inner heart, meaning that the outer will is not consistent with the inner will, the outer will covers and conceals the inner will from the conscious mind. Thus, 
even though the inner will was, is, and always will be present and unchanged in the inner heart, nevertheless, at the moment, it is unavailable to the person's conscious mind. See the third thing we learned. However, it is important to realize and to emphasize that even in the throes of passion and action that is being driven by the outer will, nevertheless, the inner will is alive, ablaze, and untouched. So much so that if the outer will is broken, and it, even if it is broken through being physically beaten, nevertheless, it then surfaces and becomes the true definition and will of the person. D, the fourth thing that we studied, that we learned. The road to becoming in touch with our truest inner feelings, our inner will of our inner heart, is through opening ourselves up to the teachings, directives, and values of the spark of Jacob of our, our father, the Nasi, the head of the children of Israel, the Rebbe. This is the heart and core teaching of this week's Torah portion called Vayechi, and he lived. Our sages teach us that Jacob lived the best years of his life in Egypt with all of his children. The inner dimension of this teaching is that when we live within the paradigm of our higher conscious, our inner heart, and our inner will, then we are living a true and free life. Then we can live the best years of our life.